0: I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to Ecclesiastes, the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, to help you find it. If you're at Psalms and Proverbs, keep going right. If you make it to Isaiah and to Jeremiah, you turn and go back. If you're using an app, it's ECC. Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, beginning at verse 9, where the writer of Ecclesiastes is talking about friendship and the importance of friendship. He says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up the other. But woe to the one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. Again, if two lie together, they can keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though one might prevail against another, two can withstand one. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your Holy Word and for the privilege of studying it together. And now as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own, through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Friendship. When I hear that phrase or that term, I'm immediately taken back to a television show that I used to watch years ago growing up. I'm going to date myself a little bit, but I will confess to you, it was reruns when I was watching it. (laughs) Many of you have seen I Love Lucy, right? There's one scene in I Love Lucy, or one episode, where Lucy and her best friend Ethel are not getting along so well. As a matter of fact, they're kind of at each other at the moment, but as time would have it, it's right at the time where the two of them were to join together and sing on Ricky's television show, a song called Friendship. Their words were saying one thing, their actions were saying another. But listen to the words of the song. They sang, if, you ever, if you're ever in a jam, here I am. If you're ever in a mess, SOS. If you ever feel so happy you land in jail, I'm your bail. It's Friendship. Friendship, just a perfect blendship. When other friendships have been forgot, ours will still be hot. If you're ever up a tree, phone to me. If you're ever down a well, ring my bell. And here is the sign of true friendship. If you ever lose your teeth and you're out to dine, borrow mine. It's friendship, friendship. Ecclesiastes actually is taken from the Greek word, which means teacher or preacher. So the writer of Ecclesiastes is a teacher or a preacher or someone who is sharing wisdom to the congregations. Some believe that Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon, maybe. Some scholars are beginning to argue, well, it seems that there are things dated after Solomon. Probably not Solomon himself, we're really not sure, but it's a preacher or teacher. That's what the word Ecclesiastes means. And the writer has been talking about friendship, talking about some of the virtues of life that we need to hold on to. Just earlier, for example, the writer of Ecclesiastes has been talking about those of us who... Who, who dig ourselves into our work to the point that we have no time for family or for friends. And he cautions us about being so busy making a living that we don't have a life. Or, as I was told when I was younger, some of the great advice I was given was spend your time with the people who will cry at your funeral. That's not a bad thought. Spend your time with the people who cry at your funeral. So the writer of Ecclesiastes has been talking about relationship and and now the the relationship moves to friendships friendships we're called to be in relationship with one another we're not meant to live and to take this life of ours alone but to share it with others as bonhoeffer talked about life together you might remember, if you go back in Genesis, how this all started. In Genesis 1, you have the story of the first day, second day, third day, etc., a story of creation. Genesis 2, you get kind of a retelling. In Genesis chapter 2, the scripture tells us that, that God created Adam. Now remember that Adam is the Hebrew word Adam, which means human being. So God created the Adam, human beings. But Adam, even though he had the garden and everything that was in it, just seemed to be missing something. There, there was a loneliness that was there. There was an emptiness that was there. And so God said, "You know, it's not good that Adam, the Adam, the human being, should be alone. Let's try to, let's try to create some company for him. So God creates the animals, and Adam was able to name all the animals, but still it's something was missing there's just not a sense of fulfillment not a sense of completeness there not a sense of genuine relationship something wasn't there so god calls the sleep to come on the adam adam the human and took a rib from his side and created eve a helpmate a partner one to share life with and when adam woke up and he looked over and saw eve he went finally bone of my bone flesh of my flesh Someone I can share my life with. Someone that I can share who I am with. Human beings, were meant to be together. So the writer of Ecclesiastes picks this up. Two are better than one, because they have good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up the other, but woe to the one who's alone and falls and does not have another to help. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though one might prevail against another, two will withstand one. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. I mean, the writer of Ecclesiastes is talking about relationship and sharing that, that life together is so important that we, that we spend this time together, even working. Even working. He says, you know, you can work alone and do your own thing, but when you work together, there's, there's so much more benefit to it. I mean, there's the relationship, but you also even have, have more profit and reward from it. How many of you know I, I love horses. It's probably my favorite animal. And if I had the time and, and the ability to spend a lot of time working with it, I'd move back toward, you know, get some land back toward my home area and, and, and have some horses there. I, I just love horses. Grew up with horses. Love being around horses. My favorite horses... Or those big ones, you know, the draft horses, those big, gentle giants. I love to watch those things and, and to see those things. And a, a a friend of ours, he has several of them, and, and when we have had weddings and other things, you know, they've got a cart that he'll pull, or a, you know, a chariot that you know carriage that he'll pull and and does all this kind of stuff. And I just I love being around. I love to see the Belgians, and, and we, you know we go to Biltmore, you know. A lot of family loves to see the house. I love to pit the horses. You know, just kind of hang out with those guys. And, and so the Percherons and the Clydesdales and all of them, I love to watch them in draft pools. Thinking about this, the sermon, too, I, the other day I was sitting there with the computer and I pulled up some of the videos of, of them pulling in these draft pools. You know, where you put the cleats on them and you watch them dig in and pull these heavy weights. Belgians, for example, are just powerful horses. Dave Ramsey, in his book, Entre Leadership, talks about how a good Belgian horse can, can pull about 8,000 pounds. And I share this with couples when I do premarital work with them, that, that what's interesting is, is if you take a, a horse like a Belgian that can pull 8,000 pounds, and you put another horse beside of it, you think that now they're going to pull 16,000 pounds, right? Because, I mean, that's, that, that's the two weights together, but they don't. You put them side by side together, they don't pull 16, they can pull like 20, 24. I mean, isn't that amazing that that when they're by themselves, they can pull eight, put them beside another one that pulls eight, but together, there's something about working together. There's something about having a partner that we can pull even more. But here's what's really interesting. Farmers can tell you that if you will work the team together for a while to where they learn each other, they learn how each other pulls, and they learn you know, how, when each other's going to pull and when they're going to go. And If you've ever been to a draft pool, you'll watch them. They're prancing together, and, and they're backing up, and they're just so antsy, but they're in sync with each other. And if you worked them together for a while, they don't pull 16 or even 20, 24. They can pull around 30,000 pounds because they know when their partner's going to pull. They know how their partner pulls, and they jump in there together, and they pull together, and it's amazing what they can do. And the writer of Ecclesiastes is going, when we work together, you you get the relationship, but you can also accomplish so much more together than you could ever accomplish by yourselves. And and then he shares, you know, and the other thing is, if, if one of you falls... It's nice to know somebody else can pick you up. I mean, if one goes down to know that that somebody's going to reach and lift you up, can you imagine anything the writer's saying that's that's a more helpless feeling than to to go down and know that there's no one who cares? No one who's going to check. No one who's going to reach out a hand. No one who's going to pick you up. Ah, two are better. One goes down. The other will help you out. He says, and if you're cold, two can keep each other warm. By yourselves, it's hard. And then, even with defense, he says, you know, one might prevail over another. But if there's two of you, two will prevail over one. I remember when my son was training training in the army to go into Afghanistan, one of the things that they constantly taught was you never go anywhere, do anything by yourself. You always have your partner, your buddy with you. You need to know somebody's got your back, somebody's there with you, that you're never in this thing alone. But then the writer goes on to say, but three strands? I mean, if you take a three stranded rope, I mean, that's when you got three strands of cord and and you braid them together. Now, that's not easily broken. A lot of weddings that I I do now, you know, couples do sometimes unity candles or they do the unity cross or they do sand or different things. Some couples even tie a knot with a rope, you know, where they tie the knot. Some will take now three strands of rope and they braid them together as part of the ceremony to show here's the couple and God interwoven together that, that this rope can't easily be broken. And as long as we're intertwined with God, our marriage will not be broken easily. And they display that in our homes. The writer is sharing. We need each other. But, but when we're talking about covenant and community and friendship and, and, and sharing life together, it's also meant to be real life and not just virtual life. Yeah, sometimes we get to where we're sharing virtual reality instead of reality. The other night, Nancy and I had some errands to run. And, and so we came back in and decided to grab something real quick to eat. Because this was the weekend when we were going to aerate the yard and seed and fertilize and do all that kind of stuff. Hence the band-aids and the bruises. But I am too cheap to, to do, pay somebody to do something I can do myself. So we only get all the fertilizers and the seed and everything that we were trying to do. And, and decided to grab something to eat real quick and we went to one of the chain type restaurants. And we're, we're sitting there eating, and, and I'm a people watcher. I'll just go ahead and tell you I'm a people watcher. My family knows that. You know, and if we go to a mall, I'm not shopping, I'm watching. And, and so, you know, I was looking around, and knowing that we were going to talk about community and relationships, I, I was looking around at what was happening in the restaurant. To my right, there was a family of five. I'm guessing a father and a mother, maybe an older daughter, younger daughter, And a toddler. They're all over the table together. But none of them were sharing life together at the moment. Because all five, including the toddler, had a screen in front of them. You know, it was interesting. You know, dad's got his thing going. Mom's got her thing doing. And, you know, the daughters had their things going. And then the toddler knew how to swipe. I mean, it's amazing. Message from mom. Delete. I mean, it was interesting, you know, What it's, it's so funny how, how children learn so early on. But, but it was interesting, I'm going, I was thinking, you know, they could be in five different restaurants and it would all be the same. At what point do we really share life together? Now, if you're going, well, that's the younger generation, it's just the way things are nowadays. Oh, no, 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 no. To my left, there was another couple. Nancy was sing because we were talking about them. Because I am looking over there, and I am seeing here is an elderly couple, and, and and they're sitting here. It's just the two of them, and, and the lady has her phone out the whole time. I mean, it was amazing. As you know, they were waiting on their food and stuff, and, and she didn't even look up. I mean, he could have been raptured for all she knew. I mean, <laughs> who knew? I mean, she was just so involved in her phone, and I am sitting here going, "This is unreal." I mean, they they don't even realize each other at the same table, and and, and they're then all of a sudden. She put her phone away. And I told Nancy, I said, well, finally, she put her phone away. After about two minutes, he had his out. <laughs> this, this bonding, two minutes, woo, that's all I can take. You know, I mean, you know we're back. And, and it was absolutely amazing. Now, when I say that, don't get upset because this is a smartphone. I live with my phone. My life is on my phone. I'm one of the people that have a problem with it. I confess. I'm one of the ones, you know, because, you know, my calendar's on here, my contacts are on here, everything else is on here. I live with my phone. This morning, my alarm went off slightly before 5 o'clock as it normally does around 4.30, 4.45 or so on a Sunday morning. And when I reached for my phone, I knocked it off the stand and it went under the bed. And for a while, I was trying to be quiet. Nancy was still trying to sleep. And, but the crazy thing somehow got totally under the middle of the bed. I mean, it had bouncing. And so before 5 o'clock, I am on my hands and knees beside my bed with a broom <laughs> trying to get my phone back closer. You go, well, why didn't you just leave it there until a little bit later when everybody else... Was... God may have tried to call. <laughs> you got to have it close by. One day, I was messing with my phone, and my daughter said to me, Spending time with the people you're away from and ignoring the people you're with. Oh, busted. Busted. She was right. You're right. Got it. Put it away. But man, have I loved that, because I have nailed her with her own words so many times. Oh, spending time with the people away from you, ignoring the people you're with. And then it's like, because she can't say anything. It was her words, (laughs) her words, virtual reality. We're trying to figure out how to deal with it. Do we have real relationships anymore or do we spending our, spend our time watching how other people live their lives instead of living our own? We spend a lot of time watching how other people live their lives instead of living our own. I actually had a pastor talking to me the other day going, I'm trying to figure out how to do church in this new age. And I said, what do you mean? And, and we all know that churches now, as uh, the book Canoeing the Mountain says, we're just another option on the selection board on Sunday mornings now. So she was talking about, she goes, you know, people worship differently now. She said, I, I've got a member of my church. A lady considers herself a member of our church, but I've never met her. She lives in another state. She found us online. She enjoys our worship. She contributes online to the ministry and missions of the church. Never met her. We've emailed a couple of times, but I'll never meet her. She said, what I'm trying to figure out is how do we do community? How do we do fellowship? How do we do koinonia? How do we, how do we have relationship in today's world? It's an interesting question. Listen to some of the scriptures about community and friendship. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to provoke one another, encourage one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Matthew 18, verse 20. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in their midst. Isn't that interesting? That does not mean that Jesus is not with us when we're by ourselves. Oh no, I'm alone. Jesus, Jesus won't hang out with me. No, that's not what it means. But clearly for Jesus, there is something sacred about where two or three of us gather together in his name. That there's something special about community. There's something special about togetherness. Friendship, fellowship, koinonia. And going on, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, following Pentecost, Luke says, they, meaning the disciples in the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and a fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. Koinonia, something about sharing life together, being in relationship. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11, Paul says, Therefore encourage one another and build each other up as indeed you're doing. Proverbs 27:17: "Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another." Proverbs 12:26: "The righteous gives good advice to friends, but the way of the wicked leads astray." <coughs> Proverbs 17:17: 17, 17, "A friend loves at all times, and kinsfolk are born to share adversity." Proverbs 18:24: Some friends play at friendship, but a true friend. Sticks closer than one's nearest kin. And Jesus, when he began his ministry, he put together a group of strangers. Follow me, follow me, follow me. John 15, verse 12, listen to what Jesus says. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. No one has greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. I believe he paused and he looked at him and he goes, you are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I've called you friends. And that's who you are. Wow. You see, they started out as a group of strangers. You know, at one point, you and your best friend didn't know each other. But at some point, life puts us together, and we share life together, and it moves to friendship. The church is called to be friends. Martin Luther said that there was no such thing as salvation outside the church. You've heard me share that before, but what he's trying to share is, is it is so hard to be a Christian in a non-Christian world. Can you imagine trying it on your own without without one another? It's what the writer of Ecclesiastes is trying to say with us as well. You know, one-on-one out there, we'll be taken, but... But when we have another, we can withstand. But you add the third cord braided together. Now that's a relationship hard to break. That's a relationship. One of the great friendships we see in, in the Bible is that between Jonathan and David. Remember in the Old Testament, for Samuel? Jonathan was the oldest son of King Saul. And David is being groomed by God to become the next king of Israel. The great, greatest king in all of Israel and And and, and so David is now working for and with Saul, the king. and, and, And the scripture says, this is 1 Samuel 18, verse 1, as paraphrased by Eugene Peterson. He said, By the time David had finished reporting to Saul, Jonathan was deeply impressed with David. An immediate bond was forged between them. He became totally committed to David. From that point on, he would be David's number one advocate and friend. And what's so powerful and beautiful when we see that is that that when King Saul becomes paranoid and and jealous of David, it's Jonathan, David's friend, who intercedes with his dad. And, And when things get risky, it's Jonathan who goes up to his friend David and goes, hey, you need to watch out for this, watch out for that. Friendship, we can't do it alone. We need a friend. Nancy and I have been blessed in our lives. We have some, some great friends in each church that we've ever served. We have had friendships develop that they go on today, and you know they're good friendships when you're, you're apart from people for a while, but when you get back together, it's like you were never apart. You're just comfortable in each other's homes, and you know, you raise each other's kids, and, and, and you just share life together. There's one guy that I went to college with, and, and then to seminary. We roomed together in seminary, and uh, I was in his wedding, and when we had kids, you know, he and his wife didn't have children of their own, so our kids' pictures are on their, their refrigerator. They consider our kids to be their kids. Which I need to talk to him. He didn't help pay for the wedding. I need to talk to him about that. <laughs> but we just kind of have this bond and this relationship together. He actually did help with the wedding. When, when his father died, I did his father's service. When my father died, he did my father's service. we Kind of been there for each other throughout our lives. Now what's interesting is, Nancy will tell you, we're alike in a lot of ways, but we are different in a lot of ways. I'm type A. He is not. Thus he is wrong. I believe in being on time. He's never been on time. As a matter of fact, it's in his will that I will do his funeral if I'm still alive and able when the time comes. And and I'm going to plan to do it 30 minutes after we're supposed to start. (laughs) So he'll be there. I mean, it's, it's one of those things, but the point of it is, is friendship does not mean you always agree with each other. It's, it's just a relationship, kind of like husband and wife. Nancy and I don't always agree with each other, but our love and bond for each other is greater than whatever it is we're disagreeing about. And our friendship with each other is, is greater than, than, than the petty things that might be in between our lives. We have to be careful. Sometimes we expect way too much out of the other people. Friendship, It's important. I find it interesting that groups outside the church can teach the church a thing or two about covenant and friendship, like the military. I didn't have a lot of experience with that until our son went into the army. And for some reason, after basic training, when a lot of people were being stationed to go to Texas or to Alaska or to different places, our son was sent immediately to Germany to spend a year getting ready to go into Afghanistan. It was just kind of interesting to watch. But what was interesting, too, is how there is a band of brothers. The, week, the year before our son in, entered into the military, we watched a lot of movies and things together on vacation, and we watched Band of Brothers, and, and I started seeing what that really looks like. When he came home, right, to spend some time right before he was to be deployed to Afghanistan, as we were getting ready to leave, the day that we were leaving to take him to the airport to fly to defend his country... There was a friend who showed up. He was actually in our 9.30 service this morning. But he had been in Vietnam. He and another guy who was a veteran who had been in Afghanistan as well. And a whole group of bikers known as the Sons of Soldiers showed up in our driveway. There was a bond. An interesting bond. They didn't really know each other that well, but but because they had that in common, they were brothers. Interesting what that could teach the church. There was a gentleman in our church, his name was Gene Varda. I love Gene Varda, some of you knew Gene Varda. Gene Varda was just one of the greatest people that you've ever met. He was in World War II and highly decorated, did some amazing things, quite a hero. But when he found out that our son was in the military, he really wanted to meet him. But Gene was up in years and I was worried with his health that this was never going to be able to happen. I would go visit with Gene. He was always asking, "Tell me about your son. How's your son? I want to meet your son. I can't wait to meet your son. When will your son be here? I want to meet your son." Well, one day it came to where our son was going to be here. Gene Varda found out, and and Gene came to church that Sunday as well. And, and I'll never forget the scene. It's it's burned into your into my memory because Nancy and we were talk, Gene Varda was was coming from the entrance in the narthex, coming down. Andrew was up here with us, and. And Andrew started moving closer because I said, that's Gene Varda, Somebody here with Gene, that's Andrew. The two of them met in the center of that aisle right there and embraced like a grandfather and grandson that hadn't seen each other in forever, but they had never met, never met, never met. But they embraced. And they held each other and then they talked and, and shared a little bit of life together to the point that I, I'll never forget when Gene Varda then died, our son, who's not necessarily a real people person, he had such a respect for that man that he worked his schedule to where he could show up at Gene's funeral dressed in his dress blues so he could stand at attention in the graveside and honor this man. You know, how do we do that in the church where we just kind of bond together? We connect together. We become family? I shared with you last week about doing a service for Richard Wright with the, who was an amazing man and, and known to be Mr. AA. He had, he had made such a difference in so many people's lives. and As I shared, I had the privilege of giving him his 50-year his sobriety chip uh, about three years ago. But as we're sitting there listening at the funeral and hearing different people get up and, and share, we, I felt like we were at an AA meeting because somebody would get up and go, hi, my name is, and everybody would, you know, hi, and they would call out their name. But they would share about how he was always there for them and how they're there for each other and how... You, you, you have someone who's who's determined to be your partner in this thing, and you can always call day or night and we'll always be there we'll never let you down and and I remember the pastor who was assisting because Richard had helped with his father. He leaned over to me and he said, "Wow, I could teach the church a thing or two couldn't he Wow to where we're family it's why one of the reasons why small groups, Bible studies, classes, choirs, whatever the group might be, that we get connected and share life together. And, and if you're struggling finding that connection, then, then I want you to talk to some of us. And Patsy, who just joined a few moments ago, she would love to talk to you because our, our goal is, 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 is that we become family and friends, a community, brothers and sisters, sharing life together so that when one of us falls, the other can be there I'll, I'll never forget when I moved here, there was a, a young lady by the name of Tara, a beautiful person who, who was dying, and I watched as, as this church and her, her community surrounded her, picked her up, loved her, loved her family. And I went, that's church. That's church. You know, we, we all met our best friends somewhere sometime. It, they may be here if we meet each other. Even bikers can teach us a thing or two. You know that I tend to ride a motorcycle, and I you know, hope that doesn't change the way you look at me. And it's a Harley, I'll confess. <laughs> but, but I enjoy it. You know, but one of the things you learn when you ride a motorcycle is there's a code. You ride down the road, you pass another bike, you drop your arm and wave. You don't know who those people are. But there's automatically a connection somehow. Some way there's a, there's a connection. It's, it's there. The other thing that, that's kind of interesting is if, if you break down on the side of the road, if your bike stopped on the side of the road, or if somebody else's bike broke down on the side of the road or stopped, you stop and help them. That's just part of the code. It's just part of the code. No one wants to have to leave their bike and go try to find help. You go help them because that could be you tomorrow. That could be you tomorrow, so you help them today. They may help you tomorrow. It's just what you do. You don't leave somebody else stranded. I remember my dad telling one time he was, he was riding his motorcycle up the road and he didn't realize that there was a police officer on a motorcycle up in front of him and, and he decided he needed to make a call, so he just kind of pulls off the road over to the side. He noticed up in front of him, though, that the motorcycle ahead of him Went over, crossed the median, back down the interstate, crossed the median, back up, pulled in beside of him. And it was a, it was a police officer on my bike going, hey, just checking on you, you good? He goes, yeah, I just need to make a call, making sure you're good. Rode right away, because that's what you do. It's just, it's just what you do. You ride, you, you take care of each other, even though you don't know each other, you're part of a community. I can show up somewhere with a group of bikes and, and it could even be a rough environment and, and I can get off my bike and I can leave my helmet, my gloves, and my coat laying right there on my bike and nobody's going to mess with it. You just don't do that. You respect somebody else's stuff. You don't ever sit on somebody else's motorcycle without permission. You don't dare touch their stuff. You just don't do that. I will confess to you. I wouldn't leave my helmet, gloves, and jacket in this church parking lot on my motorcycle. And I'm not worried about the bikers. You just don't know. You just don't know. You're part of a covenant. I'm kidding. But you're part of a community. There's something about being part of a community. The church is a community. And we should know. We're brothers and sisters. You go down. I'm going to reach out to pick you up. You need help. I'm going to work right along beside of you. You're facing adversity. One-on-one, you may not stand a chance. But together, together we can overtake it. A three-corded break? Hard to break that. We're family. Or, another way of putting it is this. Blessed be the tie that binds. Our hearts and Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Before our Father's throne, we pour our ardent prayers, our fears, our hopes, our aims are one, our comforts and our cares. We share each other's woes, our mutual burdens bear, and often for each other flows the sympathizing tear and when we asunder part it gives us inward pain but we shall still be joined in heart and we hope to meet again will you stand as we sing together blessed be the time